0: The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Well, welcome once again. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time, uh, I'm really glad you're here on this day. Uh, what a great day we've had so far. Um, that might change when we get to the passage, but we'll see. Um, if you are new and you want to be known, there's a connect card in your seat. You can just fill that out at any point during the gathering. There's a couple black boxes in the back. You can put it in those boxes on your way out, uh, or go if you're on if you're watching right now. You can go to mdcashville.org/connect and let us know that you are here. If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, open it up to the Book of Acts, please. Acts chapter five. We've been studying the Book of Acts for the last several weeks. And essentially what Acts is, is what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. And so far in the book of Acts, things have gone swimmingly. Really, uh, this fledgling little movement of God uh, has, has just seen tremendous things happen. Thousands and thousands of people are surrendering themselves to the lordship of Christ. Miracles are being done. Healings are happening. It's all, I mean, it's just going very, very well. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, when we looked at chapter four, we started to see the first test of this new early church. There was persecution from outside. Uh, Peter and John were arrested for proclaiming the gospel, and they were told not to preach the gospel. And it'll happen again and again and again. But they, this early church, put the Lord first, and they valued boldness over comfort. And the Lord continued to bless their efforts and multiply them. In the following chapters, particularly five and six, which will be in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to see tests from inside the church. Today, particularly, is a test of integrity and it led me to think as I was preparing for this, um, how many of you have ever been caught red-handed doing something, right? Maybe it's just speeding. Maybe when you were a kid, shoplifting, something. Come on, the rest of you are liars then. some of, Okay, there we go. I knew it. Okay, so there was, the last time I got a ticket, and I, yes, the last time, it probably won't be the last time, but um, I was driving through Biltmore Village on my way back to the church building, uh, and I got pulled over downtown, and the officer asked me, what I was in a hurry to go do. Because he said, I've been following you for like four miles and you just never slowed down. And I was like, I'm on my way to, I was late for a meeting at the church. (laughs) So I just had to confess it and be honest, right, about that. Um, When you are straight up busted, your reaction means everything. Because our response to being caught can be very telling. Um, It shows whether we really value honesty or if we just value appearances. So, this isn't a surprise if you are new, if you're, you know, a regular around here. All of us are sinners, okay? Wretched little black-hearted sinners, all of us. However, there are two kinds of sinners. There are some who, who really are grieved over their sin and who they are, and they bring their sin before Christ in openness, in honesty, and they, they ask him to do what only he can do in their hearts and in their lives. And then there are other kinds of sinners who feel bad about what they've done, but they try to hide it and cover it and pretend like it's not there or minimize it. And, and they're trying to, to keep an appearance that they are better than they are. This is why we have chapter five of the book of Acts. Acts. It is a solemn warning to us and call to walk in the light as he is in the light. Because one thing is certain, God's power will not, will not flow through impure people. I didn't say perfect people. I said impure people. There's a difference. We'll see that in a little bit. So um, I have quite a few verses to read here. Uh, so if you're, if you're there, we're going to actually start in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, uh, those last few verses, because it gives us context for what's happening in chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read down to 5.16, uh, and then I'll pray and we'll get going here, okay? So if you got your Bible open or if you got your phone on or something, Acts 4, starting in verse 32, it's all on the screens as well in case you don't have that with you. Now, the full number and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, that's important, we'll get to that later, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together at Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come once again into your presence through prayer, just asking that you would bless us during this time of study. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit even now and empower me to preach this word to your people in a way that might be most helpful to them. Meet us where we are, encourage us, challenge us, rebuke us, where, where we need it. We need to hear from you. And so, would you do that for us this morning? We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so I have four points this morning. Uh, no better passage for baby dedications than a, when God strikes people dead. So here we go. Uh, just where we landed, man. Uh, so if you're a note taker, I just want you to write write this first point down: great power and great grace. Great power and great grace. We see that the full number of the disciples are all together, which is at least 5,000 by this point, okay? The church has multiplied from 120 to 3,000, then to 5,000 men, so probably even up to 10,000 or so are part of this church now. But it's at least 5,000, and they are displaying a unity that is wrought only by the Holy Spirit. They are a devoted and a generous family, and the text tells us here that the apostles were proclaiming the gospel with great power. And it, le- it led to a remarkable generosity among the people. I love that Peter uh, and the other apostles did not do a money sermon series. Okay, Sometimes people you know, ask me, or they'll say, well, why don't we pass an offering plate? Or maybe you should talk about giving more. And, that'll... and, and this is why we don't. Not that we will never. But I want to preach the gospel and let God do his work through the gospel in you to get your hands off your grimy stuff. Okay? And that's what happens. Why were these people so generous? Because they gave freely. They were not under compulsion. They treated their things, the text tells us, as if they were not their own. How does that happen? It happens when Jesus is real to you. When in resurrection power, Christ is real and you realize that he has blessed you with everything that you have and you start to relax your grip on your stuff. That's what I want to see happen. And so they enjoyed great grace. Great power in the proclamation of the gospel and great grace. Now, this word for grace, the original word is charis, which can mean grace or favor. Back in Acts chapter 2, it told us that they had favor with all the people. It's the same word. So here's what's happening. They have the favor of God on them and a favorable reputation with the community. Now, not everyone loved them. Clearly, Peter and John were arrested for proclaiming the gospel. The religious leaders hated them. But they were enjoying a favorable reputation with outsiders. People were drawn in because this church was simply loving Jesus and loving one another well, and it had the aroma of Christ to it. So as an example, here's this guy, Barnabas, Joseph, also called Barnabas. It's the first time we hear about Barnabas. We're gonna hear about him 22 more times in the book of Acts. He's a pretty prominent figure. His name means son of encouragement. He's the kind of guy everybody wants to be around, right? He's, this, he's life-giving. He, he, is, he builds you up. He sees in you what other people don't see, and he calls it out. And, and you just, you're, you're magnetized to him because you feel so good when you're around him. He's an encourager. That's who he is, that's what he does. And this brother took it upon himself. As we see in the rest of the text, uh, people were selling property, selling homes, whatever they needed to do, not under compulsion, but willingly. When there was a need, this brother says, you know what? I have a piece of property. Um, I'm going to take the financial hit here. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give all of the money to the church so that they can distribute it to the people who are in need. There are real needs at this time. He is demonstrating gospel-saturated living. And it's winsome, and it's attractive, and it demands an explanation. Right? People are like, why would you do that? Like, why would you sell, And you know, Sell your home and, and make, you know, 200000 on it and then just give all that money away. Because Jesus is real. And these people really have needs. And so I'm going to sacrificially give. And so he was so encouraging that the church gave him this nickname, right? The apostles called him Barnabas. Makes me wonder if people in our church uh, were to give you a nickname, right? What would it be? I, I think for some of us it'd be um, Good to see you. Comes late, leaves early. (laughs) Hey, glad you made it once in a while. You know, it's like, and then there are others who are going to be this Barnabas, like faithful, solid, loving. What kind of nickname would the church give you? So we see this great power and great grace, but then we see a contrast. As I was. Thinking about this, I think I'm going to title this sermon A Study in Contrasts, because you see these contrasts all the time. Look at verse 5, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice that contrast, right? There's, There's all this blessing going on, there's favor, people are laying the money at the apostles' feet, but Ananias. Now, the word but, this little conjunction, is often a really positive word in the Bible. You know, like uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God. Not so much here. Ananias also sells a piece of property. He also donates money to the church, but it's a completely different result, isn't it? God strikes him dead. Some of us read that, especially if if we're not familiar with the Bible, we're like, what in the world? What was such a great sin that God would kill him in the middle of their church service? Was it that he held some back? No. Look at verse 4. Peter says to him, when the property remained unsold, didn't didn't it remain yours? You could do with it what you please. Verse 5, once it was sold, weren't all the profits at your disposal? So what was this great sin? That's my second point if I didn't say it already. Great sin. What was this great sin? It was that he lied. He and his wife lied together. How? How did they lie? They pretended to give the entire amount when really they only gave partial. They were doing so in order to appear more generous than they actually were. In other words, they they wanted the reputation that Barnabas had without the compassion that Barnabas had. They were faking it. And when they saw Barnabas give this sum to the the church and they saw the people praising God and thanking Barnabas and calling him son of encouragement and, and blessing him, right? They looked at that and they said, I want that. And rather than asking God to give them a heart like Barnabas, they pretended to be more generous than they really were. It's hypocrisy. Now, some of you might ask, okay, but why is hypocrisy such a great sin? Because it is treating the living God as if he's not even real. It's treating the church as if it's just a human institution and not a movement that comes from God above. In effect, Ananias and Sapphira were saying to Jesus, you don't matter. This is about us. This is about our reputation. This is about our image. This is about our own false glory. And that notion, brothers and sisters, is satanic. It's the way the devil thinks. In fact, the first time that we hear of Satan mentioned in the book of Acts is right here, when Peter calls out Ananias in verse 3, and he says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Now, contrast that with Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Look what it says in, in verse 31. They were all, the whole church was filled with what? The, yeah, the Holy Spirit. They, the whole church was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he says to Ananias and Sapphira, or at least to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? The first time we see Satan in the book of Acts, where is he? He's in the church. And what is he doing? He's getting people to think that they need to feel more important than they are, to to be better than they are, to to make people feel like they have to look good. And every single one of us in this room knows exactly what that feels like, don't we? We're all too familiar with pretending and performing in order to keep up an image. I want you to know, I, uh, I have a great relationship with my wife. I feel like I have a great relationship with our team. I don't know of any disqualifying sin in my life right now at this very moment, but this resonates with me, and I think it does you too. Because at every single moment of our lives, we are either centered fully on God and he is the center of our entire universe or we are the center of our, of our entire universe. And there's no in-between. It's either that we're centered on God or ourselves. And we all wrestle, don't we? I think of, uh, I think of couples, maybe even in this church right now, who um, in public and from an outward view, uh, things are great. You know, you're, you're cheery with each other Um, things seem really, really good, uh, but at home it is an absolute train wreck. And it's cold and it's distant and maybe there's anger and maybe there's um, harshness, unlovingness. I think of people who, through COVID, developed addictions, compulsions, and nobody knows you're struggling alone. You're struggling in silence. Maybe it's not even that big of a struggle. You just gave yourself over to it. And you're here and you, you come and you worship Jesus and, and you're reading your Bible, and yet nobody knows the struggle that you have, the compulsion that you have. I think of, uh, I think of older folks who feel like they always have to have the right answer and want to be seen as knowledgeable and wise and are always the mentor and never the mentee. And it's your pride that keeps you from learning from other people. I think of younger folks who are racked with doubt about who God is. And yet they don't feel like they can be honest about that. And so they're smiling and nodding while all the while... Not even sure they believe God's real. Luther, the great reformer, said that God has willed that all of life be one of repentance. And that simply means to turn back to God, to turn away from sin and self, and to turn back to God. And we we can be assured that if we will come to him in confession, in honesty, in openness, that he will heal us and cleanse us. So, why are what other people think of us, why is their perception of us more important than what God thinks of us? So, we see here Ananias' great sin. Then, I want you to see, thirdly, great fear. Great fear. And when I say fear, I don't simply mean they're afraid of God. I mean, there is a reverence and a sobriety and a respect for God. Great fear. Uh, We find this in verse 5. You guys hanging in with me? I know it's getting serious, but we got to do this. That's that's why we're here, man. Verse 5, when Ananias heard, when he was confronted, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, buried him immediately, After about three hours, his wife came in, probably from shopping with that money they held back, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me, did you sell the land for so much? And here she is trying to prop up the lie. Yes, we sold it for so much. Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And then she falls down, verse 10, at his feet and breathes her last. Notice too, this is... I just noticed this this week as I was studying, never seen it before. Look in verse 10 where it says, immediately she fell down at his feet. What was happening? People were selling property and they were laying the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And these people hold back and they end up laying their lives down at the feet of the apostles. So Ananias is called out and called home. I do believe he was called home. I think he was a believer. He and and, and Sapphira, they they were part of this early church. They probably believed in Jesus. uh, And God's just not going to let this kind of thing go on. And so he calls him home. He's immediately buried. And then Sapphira comes back trying to prop up this lie. She's busted. She dies too. And great fear comes across the whole church. I would guess so. (laughs) I would guess so. I, for a minute, I thought about what, like, if I just fell down like, and pretended to be dead. I thought better of it. I just wonder what y'all would do. Be like, all right, someone else going to finish this sermon or what? Let's move on. So there was probably fear, but there was also respect and sobriety and reverence for God. It, you know, if you've ever seen, like, um, if you've ever played sports and, you know, you're horsing around with your team and the coach warns you, I'm going to make you run laps or do all this stuff, and, and you keep doing it, and then he goes, all right, Run. And you're like, oh no, (laughs) like he was serious, right? Or your parent disciplines you or you get in trouble at work or whatever. When you see someone get severely disciplined or punished, you realize, oh, they're serious. This is what God's doing. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, this seems really kind of harsh though. Like they just, they lied. They were not truthful. Is that worthy of death? This seems really kind of harsh, and I would agree with you that it seems harsh only though if you minimize the God who was sinned against. For instance, let's use lying. Um, you could lie to a stranger, and no one would ever know the difference, and there's no consequence, right? Somebody you don't know, you are untruthful to them, they find out, whatever. Who cares? I mean, you shouldn't lie. The Bible says we shouldn't lie. But in terms of consequences, earthly, you're like, whatever. I don't know this person. But then you lie to a friend the same way, and they find out. There's a greater risk. There's a greater consequence, right? Because you could strain this friendship. Uh, You lie to your boss, and your job could be on the line. So there's a greater consequence, a greater risk. You lie to your spouse. And you put your covenant at risk right? You could put your marriage at risk. So there's a greater consequence. So over and over again, he says, you didn't just lie to man, you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. And when we devalue the holiness of God, we minimize sin. And when we minimize sin, we devalue the cross in which Jesus exchanged places with sinners like us. So think about this, too. This is a pivotal moment in the life of the church. The culture that gets created right now in this moment in the church will shape their future. And hypocrisy is more often than not driven by insecurity. And insecurity is the fruit of what I call the credit score gospel. Credit score gospel, if you, if you know anything about credit scores, you might be like, I'm doing great. I've got a 200. And it's like, what's well, out of 850? And you're like, oh. Uh, okay. So if you, as a college student, got that free t-shirt with a 21% interest credit card, and you racked up five or six grand worth of debt, and then you went to buy a car, and you realized, I can't buy anything. I can't buy a moped because I have bad credit. And no one wants to lend you money. Why? Because you are a credit risk. And so you've got to do the work, right? You have to work hard. You have to make wiser decisions. You have to make those payments. You have to pay down that debt by yourself in order to be worthy of getting a new loan. And that's the kind of gospel many people believe. But it's not the gospel. Praise God it's not the gospel, right? Um, You do not earn approval from God. It's not how this thing works. Um, Ananias and Sapphira could have passed the justification test. In other words, if you'd asked them, what's the gospel? How are you right before God? They would have told you, Jesus lived the life I couldn't. He was perfect and sinless in my place. And Jesus died the death that I deserve. He went to the cross. I watched him die, right? And he took all my sin and shame and guilt on himself. And Jesus rose from the grave and he conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell for me. And I am justified by Christ." And yet there was something they wanted more than the approval of God. It's the approval of man. If God had allowed this to go on, unchecked, because, you know, unrepentant sin, we all have sin, but unrepentant sin is like cancer in the church. And to the degree that we let it go on, it continues to spread and fester, and it will kill the entire organism. And so, if God had allowed this to just go on unchecked, what would have happened? What would have happened is that the only flickering light in the darkness in the entire universe in this moment could have been snuffed out. Their sin could have ended this entire thing. Jesus even warns us in Matthew chapter 6 if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira thought this is harmless. Like, who, who cares? Like, what's going to happen to us? And honestly, if they had just come to Peter and said, look, we made an extra 100K on this thing. We didn't realize we were going to do it. We got some other stuff to pay. We want to keep a little savings, but we'll give 100. It would have been fine. Who cares? Right? They weren't under compulsion, but it's the fact that they were duplicitous about it. And they, they probably thought, man, this is harmless. It's, it's, it's not a problem. But hear me clearly, please. There is no such thing as harmless sin there just isn't. Our sin is never in isolation. It's never just yours alone as much as you think it is. And it is never without consequences for the entire community. Never. After this happens, what do we see? Great fear among the entire church. That fear came because God disciplined these people for their private sin. This is why we need to stay, fight for staying open and honest as the family of God. To stop hiding, to stop hiding our shame, to stop hiding our sin, to come into the light. Think about this. What might have happened if Sapphira had just been honest? When she was busted, when they were like, hey, what did you sell the property for? And she had, you know, that pit in your stomach when you know the jig is up and you, you, have, a, you have an option to, to be forthright or to try to continue to cover. None of y'all know what that's about, I'm sure. <laughs> what if Sapphira had just said, you know what, we lied. We lied and we hatched this plan to keep back some of the money and we weren't gonna tell you guys and I feel so awful about it and I just. I just am sorry, and I want to be right with God, and I want to be right with you guys. You know what would have happened? The community would have come alongside them and said, this is exactly what Jesus died for. So so he will forgive you, and we will walk with you into restoration, into your repentance. It's always better to confess than to be caught. Always. Would the Lord grant us the grace to avoid hypocrisy and to walk in integrity for his glory and for the good of one another. Okay, last thing, fourth point. Maybe one day I'll become a five-pointer, we'll see. Ah, just kidding, I already am. So, (laughs) verse 12, look at verse 12. We're gonna just cover this really, really briefly. I got one thing I wanna point out, but let's read it real quick. Many signs and wonders were being done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico, which is sort of a, the outer ring of the temple, uh, open air kind of place with a little cover. None of the rest dared join them, I bet. Uh, but the people held them in high esteem, and listen to this, more than ever, believers, true believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried the sick out into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least a shadow, his shadow might fall on some of them. No magic in his shadow. It just gave people the opportunity to exercise their faith. Okay? The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So my last and final point is great healing. Great healing. Um, Now, I have said previously that the book of Acts is like a biography, right? It tells us about our history It's our family tree. So we're going back and looking at how the church began and there's something we can learn from it. But we're also reading forward. We're reading our future a little bit here also. You know why? Because Satan has no new tricks. There's nothing new. My friend Ray said this one time. He said, there's no place closer to heaven than a church full of people who are open with God and one another. No place closer to heaven than that but there's no place closer to hell than a church full of people who are faking it. God is not mocked. And yet, if people who witness the power of God on display, like we've seen so far in Acts, right? God getting healed, right? Walking who'd never walked before. Thousands of people coming to faith. Tongues of fire, all that stuff. If people who saw that, who witnessed God's power in that way, were prone to wander, it's no wonder we are too. And the reality is, every single one of us at times is an Ananias or a Sapphira. We are guilty of pretending, we're guilty of performing, we're guilty of treating God as not real. We're guilty of wanting human approval more than we want God's approval. We're guilty of wanting to be impressive rather than known. And we have a chance today to come clean, to bring it into the light. Um, in First John, we read these words. It won't be on the screen. I'll just read it for you. Just, just listen. Listen to what John writes to us in the, in the letter of First John. Uh, 1 John. This is the message that we have heard from him, that's God, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Sometimes, another contrast, right? The darkness and the light. And he says, God is light in him. There's no darkness. And if we say that we're walking in the light with God, we have darkness, we're lying. We're being hypocrites. Now, sometimes darkness is hidden secret sin. And it needs to be brought to the light. But sometimes darkness is just self-reliance and self-justification and self-protection. But either way, here's what we're called to. Walk in the light. Walking in the light does not mean walking in sinlessness. Walking in the light means walking in openness, in honesty, in repentance. Being truthful before God and others about all the things that I'm wrestling with, all the things I'm struggling with, all the things that that are at war within me. And here, this sounds so counterintuitive, but I I promise you it's true. The things we keep hidden in the darkness have power over us, but as soon as they're brought into the light, they lose their power. And so some of us are so afraid to be known because, well, what if? What if somebody finds this out about me? What will they think? And you know what? Who cares what they think? Jesus died for that. And if they're going to reject you because of it, you don't need them anyway. Jesus was light, full of light. No darkness in him at all. He lived a perfect sinless life that none of us could live. Open, honest, full of integrity. He died the death we deserve. He was swallowed up by the darkness. Swallowed up by death. Taking all of our sin, all the guilt all the shame from all of our rebellion and hypocrisy on himself, and he died in our place, and he rose from the grave, promising us that if we would surrender our lives to him, we would be given life and light. So that no matter what our past, no matter what we're involved with right now, whether it's deep, dark sin, or just self-reliance... And Christ, his viewpoint towards you and me is not one of condemnation, but one of healing and cleansing. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and ongoing hypocrisy and frees us to walk in light and in joy. And so as this church continued to walk in the fear of the Lord, they were purified and the gospel can continue to explode through them. Did you see there, in, uh, when I was reading the text, it said, more than ever, believers were added to their number. Great multitudes. You see, God purified his church, and then his power once again flowed through his church, and more believers were turning to Jesus, repenting, experiencing forgiveness and healing. And that's what God wants to do in this church. He wants... To, to have his power flow through us so that more and more people come to know and follow Jesus. But he has to purify us first. He has to purify us first. So as we wrap up, I got three questions I'm going to put on the screen and then uh, we're going to take communion today. You should have communion cups in your ch- in the chair in front of you. Uh, if you're on the front row, there are baskets with communion cups as well that you can uh, use. And if you don't have a cup or don't or need one, uh, make sure you raise your hand, we'll get one to you. But let's, let's put these questions up first, um, and then I'm just going to give us a moment to be still before the Lord. So the first question is this, is there anything that I am dealing with that needs to be brought into the light today? Now The Bible warns us continuously, do not continue to harden your heart. If you're here and you're experiencing conviction, it's for a reason. And it's not to shame you, it's to bring it into the light so that this thing does not have power over you any longer. So is there anything that I'm currently dealing with that needs to be brought into the light, needs to be confessed both to God and to others? Do I need someone to pray for me? Do I need to tell them, you know what, I have this addiction or things are not going well for us or I, I don't even know if I believe and I haven't told anyone and I just need someone to know, is there anything you're dealing with that needs to be brought into the light today? Do not leave out of this room without bringing it into the light. Don't. Second, where am I prone to hypocrisy over integrity? All of us are, at times, prone to acting hypocritically and not being honest. In those moments, what am I trying to prove or what am I trying to protect? Where where do I find myself acting duplicitously, right? Believing one thing, doing another. And why? And then finally, how can the good news, the good news of Jesus, free me? To walk in the light where he is. If we're walking in the darkness, that's not his fault. He's in the light, and he says, Come to where I am in the light. Bring all your hidden stuff to me, and when you come to me, it'll all be revealed, and you will be, you will feel free, you will feel healed, you will feel restored. Doesn't mean it won't be painful. But it's it's the right kind of pain a sanctifying pain, not a judging pain. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. Thankful. Lord, I am uh, I'm grateful for these beautiful people who, who desire to live a godly life, who struggle, who wrestle, who rebel at times, but who keep coming back to their Father in heaven who loves them and, and who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to cling to these truths. We have nothing to be ashamed of in Christ. We are not condemned in Christ. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are accepted. We are approved of. We are a hot mess, but we are your mess. And so help us, Lord, to love you the way that we ought to. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, may we take the bread and the cup, in a worthy manner. Not that we are worthy, but we are trusting in Jesus alone, even if it is by the thinnest little strand of faith. Would you be honored and glorified as we respond to you now? We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.